Ladies and gentlemen, you found the program that pulls no punches, that knocks out political correctness, and delivers a right cross to defend the Constitution. We call it Fighting Words. And now, entering the ring, retired infantry colonel, trial lawyer, and fighter for truth and justice, Kurt Schlichter. Hey everybody, this is Fighting Words with Kurt Schlichter, the Hugh Hewitt-esque podcast where I kind of take topics that Hugh's been talking about all week and take them in a new and different and uh, uh, well, I'm going to attempt to maintain FCC compliant direction. So we're going to do that. First thing, the guy who was ahead of the entire power curve on coronavirus was our very own Hugh Hewitt. Weeks ago, he was warning about this, and this week it kind of exploded. Just today, which is Sunday the 26th, Los Angeles County reported the fourth coronavirus case in the United States. Wow. This thing is deadly. This thing will kill you. And it's made a lot of people sick over in China, but also uh, we got we got cases in France, we got cases in Vietnam, there's a case in Australia. Is this the pandemic we've been worried about? And uh, as you know, Admiral James Stavridis, frequent guest of the Hugh Hewitt show, uh, uh, that's what he's scared of. He's scared of a pandemic. He's convinced that one's going to show up in the next 10 years. Um, what the heck do we do about this? Because I've got to say right now, I'm not super thrilled with what I'm seeing coming out of the administration. Uh, that's not to say that they're not doing anything. It's not to say that they're ignoring it. In fact, the CDC seems to be all over it. But, you know, I'm a military guy. You've got to tell your troops what's going on. You have to keep them informed. And while our attention is being uh, drawn away by this ridiculous impeachment thing, and we, we will talk about that, uh, later in the show. People are getting worried about this coronavirus thing, and it is, it, it, is not, uh, it is not something that we should ignore because this could be a major, major disaster. Uh, not, I'm not, and I'm not speaking just the, the, the pandemic aspect, right? Fortunately, it doesn't appear to be as uh, deadly as the Spanish flu. It's got some like a 3% uh, mortality rate. Spanish flu had about a 20% mortality rate, killed tens of millions of people back in 1918. But this could be another Hurricane Katrina if it doesn't get handled correctly. And as we understand from Hurricane Katrina, which was in fact at least on the federal level, handled magnificently. They moved amazing numbers of uh, men and materials into New Orleans, and it didn't matter. It didn't matter. They did efficiently, effectively. Nothing mattered because uh, the Bush administration, in its typical inability to perform any task at any kind of level of competence, failed to let the American people know, allowed the media to set the agenda that this was a disaster, it was the fall of the federal government, instead of incompetent Democrat local officials and just the fact it was a giant, giant hurricane. Um, we can't let that happen here. That's why I think it's so important that the president get out ahead of this. I don't think an address from the 
Oval Office would be out of the question because he has got to let the American people know that he is on this and that we are acting to control this very, very dangerous situation. And by not doing anything, well, we don't want to panic people. I got to tell you something. Panic will start just like that. I would snap my fingers now if I could snap my fingers. And in fact, I, I, I cannot snap my fingers. It's one of the weird things about me. But uh, also, I don't like fish. So there are two weird things about me. Panic can start just like that. Just like that. He's got to be ahead of it. He's got to tell us exactly what they're doing. And they are doing things. The CDC's acting. They are uh, clearly screening people at the border. They are interacting with China. And uh, China's a whole different, whole different ball of wax. But they need to get out and tell the American people, we know this is happening. We are on this. We are watching this. And I think only the president could do that. I think he needs to talk to the American people about it to get ahead and show us he's acting before he allows the lying media, and that's what it is, as we've, we've seen lately, uh, to define his response as inept, inadequate, and insufficient. Now, what happens as this goes on? Well, you know, Thousands and thousands of people come here from China every day, every single day, and they're flying in. It's apparently it's LAX where they intercepted some of these people. Do we need to cut off travel from China? I'm not sure we need to go that far. And I'm not sure, frankly, that that would even work. Apparently, there's a two-week latency period in this. It takes two weeks for this virus to develop after exposure. And apparently the exposure can be through eyeballs. So, you know, just wearing a mask isn't going to help you. This stuff is, this stuff is bad. And can we cut ourselves off from the rest of the world? Do we need to at this point? I don't know. I'm not an expert. Now, I did do nuclear, chemical, and biological stuff in the Army, but nothing like this. Nothing, nothing like this. And there are people out there who understand how to do these things, who understand how to stop epidemics. Um, they, uh, we had the issue with Ebola during the Obama administration, and uh, as Hugh points out, Ron Klain, who is now one of the senior folks from the Biden campaign, uh headed that and one of Hughes uh, ideas is to get him involved get him acting uh, to help organize a response and uh, apparently that hasn't happened yet why hasn't that happened well and this this is a problem can you trust him I mean really could you trust him to come in work with the uh, uh, Trump campaign and then not come back and then bad talk Trump could you trust him to put you know, the safety of the American people over politics. And the fact is, you can. And that's one of the things that's so dangerous about the polarization. Okay? You can't trust the other side, the, the Democrats in this case, not to stick you in the back. So you have a huge incentive not to bring them in, even if they may have some of the technical expertise you need. Because I, I can just see him coming, working with Trump for a little while, the, the thing going away, and then him... Uh, turning around and totally trashing Trump and the administration. Incompetent, lazy, stupid, all this other stuff.
Can you see that? I can totally see that. And I understand why the Trump administration might be reluctant, even though this guy has on paper the expertise to do this, to bring him in the House because he can't be trusted. Now, in a situation where true bipartisanship existed, everybody, including Joe Biden, would say, hey, you know, any president needs a certain space to act and needs to be able to have some trust in the people he's working with, even if they're not his political allies. So we're going to kind of put this off limits. Nothing's off limits, as we have seen. So in that way, this new uh, paradigm, which is was largely created by the establishment that Donald Trump you know, represents a reaction to, um, they, they've kind of made bipartisanship impossible by eliminating the kind of norms and unwritten rules that would have allowed this guy to come in, do his job, and, and you know, frankly, to be trusted not to stick the president in the back down the road. So there you go. So what's going to happen with this coronavirus? Um, I think we're going to see more cases. I think once the impeachment festival of foolishness goes away, I think we will see a focus on it. And the media is going to do everything it can to make Donald Trump the villain. Which is why I think he needs to get ahead of this. I think he needs to jump out ahead of the lies that are coming. And tell people what we're doing, what our plans are how we are going to keep the American people safe from this. And I think, of course, one of the key things is to outlaw bat soup. Yeah, apparently this stuff comes from bats and people eat them in China in soups or snakes, maybe. They've got these markets of weird meat, like they got koala meat. This is just weird. And uh, you look at something like that and you think nothing good can come of it. And then the coronavirus comes of it and you're like, see, see, I told you. Don't eat bats. Okay? Let me give you a list of things you can eat. Beef, pork, chicken. You can eat lamb. Turkey at Thanksgiving. We're pretty much done. Bison. I had a bison steak the other night. Okay, you can eat that. You know, game, I guess, if you're down with the venison or the elk. But that's pretty much it. Don't eat bats. Don't eat snakes. Don't eat bugs. That's all weird. Don't do any of those things. It's not going to end well. Speaking of not ending well, we have the uh, impeachment. And uh, wow, Uh, it's not going to end well for the Democrats because Donald Trump is clearly going to be uh, acquitted of these bogus and ridiculous charges. Charges I frankly wish were true. I wish Donald Trump had gone and uh, twisted the arm of Ukraine to investigate the massive corruption of the Biden family. I think that was his duty. Uh, that's why people keep, uh, you know, it really annoys me. Well, well, Trump did it. And I'm like, I, I, I'd be like, good, good. I, I can't think of anything better to do. See, this draws me to a big problem with the Democrats' presentation. They apparently took up every second they could possibly take while the Republicans took uh, the, the defense, but it's really Republicans, took a shorter time on Saturday when they knew nobody was watching. 
And they're going to do most of it on Monday when a little more than nobody's watching, but still nobody's going to be watching because nobody's watching this stuff. Uh, and uh, there's a very obvious question that I would have posed. And my first, my, my first thing in my defense, if I was a lawyer handling it, I am a lawyer and I do handle defenses, I would have said, okay, You've been listening for 24 hours for that human anime lollipop um, Adam Shift and that uh, weird Oompa Loompa guy, Jer Jerry Nadler. They've been talking and talking and talking. He's a god dictator. It's the worst thing ever. And we can't trust the voters because the voters might not vote for us. And blah, 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 blah. Here's what you never heard. Oh, and you heard plenty about, oh, all this stuff about Biden. It's all a lie. It's all a scam. Okay, here is what I'd be looking for. What is the reason Hoover, I, I, I mean, Hunter Biden was given $50,000 a month or more by a Ukrainian oligarch? What's the reason? What qualifies him? Let's review his CV, right? He left a crack pipe in a rent-a-car in Arizona. He joined the Navy, and his very first drill, he was kicked out of the Navy for ha coming up hot on a urinalysis. He came up hot for drugs. Uh, he, I'm not sure if he married or just hung around, if you know what I mean, his dead brother's wife while he was married. Then he impregnated a stripper in Alabama and then he was apparently a patron of strip clubs in Washington, D.C. And there's some tawdry stuff I'm not going to go into there. I mean, tawdry-er. And there, that's his CV. I mean, that's, that's his qualification. So he gets $50,000 a month. He does not speak Ukrainian. He does not understand the gas industry, much less the Ukrainian gas industry. He's getting $50,000 a month. This, this guy from Ukraine, to find a board member, comes to America to find the coke-snorting, uh, stripper-impregnating loser and make him a guy on his board and pay him over 50 grand a month. What is the reason he did that? Now, everybody knows the reason. It was a bribe to win over favor of Joe Biden, who is the vice president of the United States. Is there anyone who thinks there's another reason? Because I'd like to hear it. And by saying that Donald Trump shouldn't investigate it, the Democrats effectively say, this is okay. We think it's okay to pay the loser children of Democrat politicians tens of thousands of dollars a month to buy influence. We think that's okay. How dare you? How dare you? I'm channeling Greta Thunberg now. How dare you question that? You know, Donald Trump should have questioned that. The media should have questioned that, and they kind of sort of did a little bit. They were like, uh, um, Joe... Um, you know, is this okay? And Joe's like, what? And then they kind of let it go because they have a partisan agenda. But that's the whole thing. Tell me why. Tell me why he got the money. We keep hearing, it's unproven, debunked. Why did he get the money? Unproven, debunked. Well, 
Why do you get the money? Unproven debunked! But it's neither unproven nor debunked. It is prima facie corruption. Prima facie corruption. Corruption on its face. And here's the thing. Everybody knows it. And the media knows it. The media doesn't ask. You think when Adam Schiff goes on with uh, somebody for an interview, he gets a, Adam, why do you get the money? No. No. Instead, you know, the, the Jennifer Rubens of the world slobber all over him. I love how they're like, this is the most moving closing argument I have ever seen in my entire legal career. Well, if you spent your entire legal career in the law library writing motions for the partners, yeah, I, I can see how that might be the best you've ever seen. I've got associates who've made more, uh, you know, on their like, first trial, made, their, made more moving and persuasive arguments, but that's okay. Here's the thing. We all know where this is headed. We all know what's going to happen at the end of the day. And what's going to happen at the end of the day is Donald Trump is going to walk free. And then they will start all over again on something. Well, Lev Parnas! Lev Parnas uh, secretly recorded him wanting to fire an ambassador. Well, frankly, she should have been fired. And uh, except for the Trump exception, trademark, presidents are allowed to fire ambassadors. Here's the lesson that we need to take out of this. One of the lessons. For everybody from uh, uh, whistleblower Eric Sierra Mella, yeah, I know they tell us we're not supposed to say his name, but I think you have as much right to know it as all the news people do. Uh, Eric Sierra Mella and uh, the rest of the hacks who are deeply embedded in the system uh, and the uh, political appointees or the even the uh, political, apolitical appointees because not all ambassadors are political appointees. They're all appointees, but they're not all political. Some are, you know, this is a second-tier country. You know, send a career diplomat over. Trump should have fired everybody. The lesson for an ex-Republican is you come in, you fire everybody. You fire everybody on your national security staff. You fire everybody at the White House. Everybody, I want your resignation or you're fired. I will invite back those that I want. You fire every ambassador. You fire every United States attorney. You fire everyone. Obama did that because Obama's serious. Okay? Somebody gave Donald Trump bad advice. The problem with Donald Trump is he came in without a Rolodex. You kids know what a Rolodex is? It's like a contacts thing on your phone, except it's on paper. He comes in with his, without a Rolodex, and he doesn't know who he can and can't trust. And he doesn't have... Like, you know, the Bush guys, you know, I got a lot of problem with George Bush, but he had a lot of contacts. There's a lot of contacts in Washington, and they were able to staff up quickly. Trump did not have that. The problem with being an outsider is, you know, one of the problems is you're an outsider. You know, you, you can't snap your fingers and fill these thousands and thousands of positions just like that. So kind of a necessity, he left a lot of people burrowed in who frankly shouldn't. This ambassador to Ukraine should have been fired day one. You know, the guys on the National Security Council should have been fired on day one. You bring a few back who are actual professionals and the rest, you, adios. Um, he left some of the, you know, same with the United States attorneys. He didn't fire them all. I'd have fired them all day one. 
and start appointing new ones day one. We now understand that. So the next guy who comes in is kind of an outsider. Well, you know, you got some time during the uh, uh, post-election period when the new administration's ramping up to get those together. That's one of the things you do. If you win the election, your first call should be to the guy who's going to be your chief of personnel. Personnel is policy. I'll say that again. Personnel is policy. Your policy is the people you appoint and have doing your business. If you do it right, you have people who follow your intent. If you do it right, you have people who know what you want and don't need to ask you and don't work at cross purposes. But instead, the Trump administration is full of people, mostly leftovers, mostly liberal hacks from the bureaucracy who were working to frustrate the president's agenda because they didn't agree with it. They didn't like it. That's part of the big basis of impeachment. <gasps> How dare Donald Trump not go along with the consensus of all the people who'd screwed up America's foreign policy for the last 10 years? How dare him? How dare him? I just, I just can't help uh, channeling uh, uh, Pippi Longnagging. It's just she's saying, how dare you? So this thing's going to end. It's going to end without, I, I don't know if we're going to do witnesses or not. I would think that, uh, you know, first of all, I'm not sure Schiff really wants to do witnesses. Cause, and I asked somebody this on Twitter, because I spend a little time on Twitter. You might not know that. But every once in a while, I get on the tweeting machine and execute a tweet. And the tweet that I executed for somebody who goes, he will let Mulvaney and Bolton testify because he's afraid. Okay, several questions. A, what do you think they're going to testify to? Do you imagine the stash? John Bolton's going to come out there and testify that, why, yes, the president committed uh, high crimes and misdemeanors. I'd like to invite uh, a, a liberal Democrat who stands for everything I've opposed during my entire foreign policy career to come in and take over the reins of the United States. Do you find that likely? Does that seem like a thing that's going to happen? But let's assume it could happen. Let's assume there is a possibility that that might ever happen. What do you think, what do you think these guys are going to say? What do you think they're going to say? What's the, what, what is the stuff they're going to say? Now, and, and now here's a thought experiment. You guys who definitely want Bolton and Mulvaney because they're the keys to all of this. Okay. If Bolton and Mulvaney come in and go, why, no, the president did nothing improper. Are you guys going to shrug and give up the impeachment? Is that tumbleweed? That's a tumbleweed I hear. Of course not. Of course not. What they will say is, well, ignore them. They're obviously lying because they didn't say what I wanted. We have plenty of evidence to convict the president. Well, okay, if you have plenty of evidence, why do you need Mulvaney and Bolton in the first place? See, it's a giant conundrum. It is a, you know, it is a true detective. Time is a circle kind of thing. If you need them, then they have something to add. If they have something to add that you don't like, then you don't need them. Whoa, man, heavy. That's like, whoa. It's all nonsense. It's all lie. It's all a scam. And it's a giant scam being pulled on you, the American people. So, I don't know. 
I'm not going to, I haven't watched it. I'm not going to watch it. I get a little highlights. I get uh, Hugh briefs me in the morning on what's happened because, you know, sorry, Hugh, better you, better Hugh than me. Get it? I just don't want to watch it. I won't. I'm just going to wait till this is done and nothing will change. They'll just start up again. But I think we got to, after this, stop pretending this is legitimate. Stop treating it with seriousness and just start laughing at them. And I'd like to see a senator say that. You had your impeachment. You rolled the dice. You lost. Go away. That's what I hope happens. So what else is happening? Well, there's there's a little uh, uh, kind of Hugh Hewitt related news. Um, great friend of the show, personal friend of you, personal friend of mine, Rick Grinnell, ambassador to Germany. Great ambassador. Greatest ambassador we've had in years anywhere. He's just amazing uh, because he does something that the foreign policy elite didn't think they needed to do, which is look out for America's interests. And one of the things he did from Germany is he actually helped out with the Kosovo-Serbia problem. Now, as you understand, Kosovo is a breakaway republic, uh, a portion of Serbia. And there was uh, the, the local Serbians basically started a civil war there. There was a fight. Uh, NATO intervened. American forces went in. Uh, most of the Serbs left. A few stayed. And the Americans at Camp Bonsteel in southern uh, uh, Kosovo have been there for 20 years. And, uh, and there, there are other European, primarily European forces around. But the Americans are at Camp Onsio, been there since like 1999. Uh, I did a tour there 2004 to 2006 with a bunch of other California National Guard folks. Tens of thousands of American soldiers have gone there. And it was peacekeeping mission, really. Uh, a lot of my job, I mean, we weren't shooting anybody. We were doing some interesting things. But the stuff that's really important is uh, we were doing a lot of development stuff. I was helping people set up mushroom packing facilities, for instance. And you might think, well, that doesn't seem like a good thing for our army to do. Well, what's the goal of our army? To enforce peace. If I can convince people to not kill each other because they need to get to their job at the mushroom canning factory, then I have achieved my military objective. Okay, remember when you... The problem is not nation building, so to speak. I'm using my little scare quotes. It is stupid nation building. When you achieve a military objective, that is to end uh, armed conflict and restore security, which was essentially our mission there, uh, and you can do it by talking people into it, as Sun Tzu would say, right on. (coughs) Oh, no, coronavirus. See, there's a Sun Tzu coronavirus joke. We call that a callback in the comedy world. Anyway. Um, so Rick Grinnell has, has gone down there and basically negotiated for direct railroad ties and air flights between Kosovo and Serbia. That's huge. That is huge. That shows that the two nations, and Serbia didn't, doesn't want to recognize Kosovo as a separate nation, but that shows the two nations are starting to live together. And remember, that border is, you know, that's a, uh, that is not an agreed border. I mean, we, we actually had people who went out there and dealt with the Serbs on the border, you know, to keep, you know, to keep the peace. And what Rick Grinnell has done is he's really moved forward the process of reconciliation there. And this, in a way, has validated what tens of thousands of American soldiers have done over there. Um, 
you know, a lot of us spent a lot, you know, I spent a year of my life there. I mean, that's, you know, I got 55 of them and one of them was in Kosovo. And uh, it wasn't always fun. I'd rather have been here, but, uh, you know, sometimes you got a job to do. And that was our job. And after I came back uh, and did my battalion command, I was squadron commander for 1st Squadron, 18th Cavalry Regiment. Now, a, a battalion is a squadron when you're talking about cavalry, so as a battalion commander. And uh, after I finished my command, 1st of the 18th was assigned to go back to Kosovo. It, it was assigned to go to Kosovo as one of the units. I had gone with division headquarters the first time. And the unit went back, and I, I rotated out of command. It went back under my friend Lars Stack with my guys, and they did a lot of patrolling and interacting and stuff. And uh, I actually got to go back there with the general once to visit the troops and everybody and see what was going on. But I had uh, come back, and I went back to the division headquarters, and I got put in public relations, which means basically do whatever the general says. So I ended up doing things like running... Uh, multinational exercises in Ukraine and things, all sitting in the, the slot of the public affairs guy. And my, my, the public affairs guys would go do the stuff, and I just kind of held the slot and did work for the general. Um, but uh, one of the things I did do in public affairs is I got Hugh to go out to Kosovo. And it's, it's technically a combat zone. We weren't shooting anybody, but we carried guns, and, you know, there was... One entirely safe environment. I mean, I never shot anybody. Nobody ever shot. I don't think we shot anybody the whole time we were there. Uh, at least my unit. Um, but uh, we got Hugh there, and he spent three days camp on steel, and he got to go out on patrol and talk to our troops and meet the guys. And I remember uh, actually listening to the interviews. He was on afternoons then, and he was talking to some guys I knew over there, and he really got a kick out of it. It was a, it was a giant hassle to get him in. You know, I had to work through uh, European command and everything. And it got taken out of my hands. It became a very big deal. But he went over there. So Hugh has a special affinity for Camp Bonsteel and our Kosovo mission. And I think it's really great that our mutual friend Rick Grinnell has been instrumental in making this big step forward. And interesting thing about Kosovo, uh, about 90% Muslim, unbelievably pro-American. I mean, they love Americans. Uh, they just... You know, because we're the only guys who treat it. You know, they've been conquered for like 2,000 years. Okay, there's always someone conquering them. Uh, this is the first time they've run themselves. And, you know, they got these American forces sitting in their base. And we sit in the base. We don't go out and do anything. We don't boss them around. I mean, we're like, okay, no killing anybody. And they're like, all right, cool. But we, you know, we're the first foreigners there who aren't oppressors. We're actually guests. And they, they just adore us. And they're an ally. There are some bad Albanians. Um, Albanians are the Muslim Kosovars. Um, called K-Albs is what we'd call them. But uh, there, there are some bad ones. Uh, but uh, the vast majority of them uh, love Americans. And it is nice to see after 20 years this mission uh, really paying off. Anyway, I hope you guys have enjoyed this uh, edition of Fighting Words with Kurt Schlichter the kind of Hugh Hewitt-esque podcast. Uh, I'll be doing it occasionally. I hope you, uh, I hope you uh, stick around and uh, stay tuned. And I'll see you every morning at 3 a.m. when uh, Hugh starts. I listen on podcast. I'm not that crazy. And hopefully I'll be uh, guest hosting once in a while, and I'll see you then. But anyway, thanks a lot. This is Kurt Schlichter. Adios. <laughs>